Born and raised in San Francisco, my guest today describes herself as a queer, bilingual, multi-hyphenated artist, Leo Sun, Scorpio Rising, Bruja Homegirl. She prioritizes collaborations that practice intersectionality and community empowerment. As a trauma-informed, student-centered teaching artist, she has developed national programming for community wellness through arts intervention for over 15 years and holds a slew of credits that include acting, writing, producing, mime, and improv. My guest is Marilette Martinez. I'm Aiden Nipom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Marilette, welcome to the Changed Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, in the first season of the Changed Podcast, I talked to a lot of people with an improv background. And then this season, uh, you know, most of my guests don't have that or purposefully, like I, one of the authors I spoke with, Amy Gentry, she's the first episode this season. Um she took an improv class for me many years ago and was like, no, this is not for me. So I kind of went opposite direction um, to get more perspectives. And then I realized, okay, but that's actually, that's a perspective that I still really treasure. And you do really cool things with improv. You're kind of, Mm -hmm. in my mind, a little bit of a trailblazer. So I wanted to bring you on the show and, and have that playful um, voice, but that, you know, like, I don't know. I, I'm just doing all the talking. So I'm so glad you're here so that I could talk about my thinking. I like uh, listening. It's cool. <laughs> um, here's what I would love for you to do. Um, Marilette, will you tell the audience, the listening audience, a little bit about um, what you do? I know improv isn't the only thing that you do, It's but it's a big chunk of what you do. Will you just share with people what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am an actor, improviser, fight choreographer. Uh, I, I mostly come to to performing from sort of the uh, the theater world, sort of the, the scripted theater world, um, which was a funny change in language that I had to get used to when I started primarily focusing on improv. I was like, oh, and I believe somebody referred to it as like the legit theater. And I was like, well, what the hell am I doing with improv if it's not? Woof. Yeah, yeah. It's very status. Theater loves a good status uh, hierarchy. Um, (laughs) So uh, within uh, within all of the performing that I do, I'm also a a writer um, and a a producer, director. um, And I'm also an educator. I'm a teacher. So I do, I'm a trauma-informed teacher who works with... um, usually uh, non-represented through in the majority uh, for youth, uh, sort of formally referred to as like at-risk youth. And I was like, all risk, all youth are at risk, all of them. They're all at risk for everything. <laughs> all of us are. Uh, right. Um, so yeah. So, so if you're and, using uh, the label, if you're not using the label at risk, what label are you using? Um, I, I, it changes. Like, I feel like the language around sort of the way we are trying to identify uh, people who are maybe not as represented or who have been 
systemically impacted through, you know, uh, white supremacy yeah. or other other systems of oppression um, who are, you know, then labeled as like underfunded or not, you know, like coming from like these backgrounds as if they as if they chose that life. Um, right. And, um, so, right. yeah, I. I yeah, so I choose to to sort of say that I, I work with uh, I just I work with youth youth who are dealing with a lot of things, um, and adult people <laughs> who are dealing with a lot of things. Like you know, we're all we all come to this world with a um, you know different sized and different weight back weighted backpacks. So I like to just sort of like be like, all right, show up with your backpack and let's see what we got. So. <laughs> yeah, That's a nice way to put it. I like yeah. that. Show up with your backpack. Let's see what we got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, part of why I was interested in talking with you is because I feel like, um, you know, our, we are connected via social media. So I get just like these glimpses of ways yeah. that you are connecting your activism with your art. And I, I find that to be particularly inspiring. Would you talk a little bit about the connection between the two? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so growing up in San Francisco, uh, I was surrounded by artists all the time and surrounded by people with a lot of political opinions, um, be either be that either at home and school and society at large. But people had a lot to say and they were going to do it in like cool, artistic ways. Um, and so as a, as a young theater practitioner, um, when I started doing work in the Bay Area as an actor, a lot of the work I was doing was um, really focused around uh community outreach and uh, around um, sort of giving voice to uh, political movements or issues that um, that were really affecting people. And uh, a lot of the shows I was getting cast in and a lot of the companies that I was very attracted to um, were always were doing work that was um, overtly messaged around uh, either very leftist political leanings, and uh, and yeah. other ways of sort of like giving in San people Francisco. What I know, shock, ah, oh, surprise, right? So I worked with the San Francisco Mime Troupe for a long time, and they do original musical theater, original comedic musical theater for free in the parks. They are a socialist uh, theater company that's been around for sixty odd years uh, in the Bay. Um, you know, they don't take corporate funding. They're collectively run. They're a very cool company. They're still around. Um, still, you know, speaking truth to power as often as possible. Um, I, and and so I think um, sort of that foundation. And then my day job as a theater practitioner, as a young person, was doing um, assemblies for for young people. So going to like elementary schools and junior highs and high schools and doing like health messaging that was appropriate for like those various age groups. Um, so you get mm -hmm. into a lot of uh, issues around sort of what young people are dealing with in terms of like the oppression they're facing, the uh, the issues that they're coming up against. Um, you know, this can look like food insecurity, home insecurity, um, you know, dealing with abusive family members or partners, like all these things that was happening. And so because uh, healthcare in this country is political, it's sort of like extra ramped up that level of like, well, I'm doing art but for a hospital <laughs> um, and sort of like what land does that put me in? It was very, very cool. I still sort of um, have connections with, with them. This was uh, Kaiser Permanente's educational theater. Um, and I've done a lot of programming for them and things, but it was just sort of always at the forefront of the art I was creating was like um, centering 
uh, people whose voices aren't as dominantly heard and the issues that are that are facing them. And then when I sort of shifted and moved to Chicago and uh, or actually this I guess this is also in San Francisco as well. Um, I met uh, Marcia Aguilar or Kaylin um, at, through through Lila. And her and I started a duo uh, called Pura Pocha, and we um, started doing improv shows using uh, Loteria cards, which are like Mexican bingo cards. Um, and we would like use them to sort of like force our mondos from audience members <laughs> and uh, do, do shows based on that. It was um, really one of the first spaces as sort of a just a primary improviser where I was like, oh, like I'm really getting to use uh sort of the wealth of my my cultural self as well as you know I was getting to play sort of in a total way that I wasn't able to access in ways that, uh with other people and I just wanted to let the listeners who aren't from an improv background I wanted to let you in on some of the lingo which is uh you just dropped Armando in there so that's that's a that's a form of show where the players on stage utilize storytelling to inspire um, the performance on the stage. So you were using those Loteria cards to get stories from audience members? Yeah, yeah. So we had... Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. It was I, I, just sort of in, re- in a rehearsal one day, Marcy and I were trying to figure out like, well, how do we how do we lean further into like the cultural aspects of ourselves? Maria, um, um, Marcia was one of the first people that I got to like improvise in Spanish with on stage. Um, and like got to sort of like make these references that when I made, made them in other circumstances, they were, you know, they were used, they were fine, but they just hit different because Marcia also had that same cultural knowledge and background. So she could hit back in a different way. Um, and I, it was just like, it was like finding, uh, you know, finding, like, I, I think of it as like the, the little bee girl at the end of the blind melon video when she finds all the other little bees. Like, where I was like, oh my God. Yeah, you know she's all grown up now. I know, like she's a bee woman. Whoever the bee woman is now, <laughs> um, she's probably maybe has you know tiny bees around her. Uh, but yeah, so getting to sort of play with um, with Marcia and getting to sort of uh, see uh, one sort of the the response between her and I and just sort of how satisfying that was to get to like experience that on stage with one another as well as getting to introduce uh, either one, introduce audience members to uh, this part of the culture or just something a little bit different, um, as well as affirm those in the audience who shared that same uh, cultural reference or cultural background. Um, So yeah, and then now, and then uh, sort of fast forward that a bit to being here in Chicago and working with uh, my current improv team, Ratas de Dos Patas, um, we met all doing, uh, we were on a Spanish language team or Spanglish team for another team. And the four of us sort of came together. Uh, Kendra, uh, Jamaica sort of uh, brought us together and was like, I want to do stuff with you guys. Uh, and like one like cold Tuesday night at like 11 p.m. at IO. And we were like, yeah, OK, let's do it. <laughs> um, and her initial, <laughs> initially what she said was, um, I really like you guys. I, I really think you're talented. I want to do something with you. Uh, I don't know exactly what that is, but I want it to involve like red lipstick and hoop earrings and like teaching the audience band. <laughs> and we all four mm-hmm. went, yeah, okay, great. We're, we're in, we're down. Um, and so through this team, that was sort of like our initial foundation. But uh, since then, we've done like a boatload of work in terms of bringing 
um, all of our our cultural backgrounds, our you know our contemporary um, viewpoints, all of those things, and 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 really offer them to stage uh, or offer them on stage as um, as both like a a celebration and a bit of a rebellion. So we and we like living in that space a great deal. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about I what think I think. Activism mean. is sometimes that, right? Like <clears throat> activism is sometimes a combination of celebration and rebellion, actually. I never really thought of those two words in conjunction as a good definition, but to me that resonates. This idea that we're going to celebrate this thing that we are actively bringing to the forefront while we simultaneously rebel against the norms or status quo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's because I feel like you kind of need both, right? Like the the if it's all rebellion all the time, yeah. that's a burnout. If it's all if it's all celebration all the time, that's a pass out. Um, <laughs> and you have to nourish yourself with something, right? While you're in these forms, while you're in this um, space of of sort of coming up against something that you that you aren't necessarily the norm in. Um, and so like, it makes me think of, uh, uh, what was it? I think, I think shortly after, uh, Mike Pence became vice president, there was a, a huge, like big gay dance party that happened like in front of his, his home somewhere in Indiana. Like people just like <laughs> big, big rainbow flags, just like working the house down. And it was just like, you know what, like we're gonna, we're gonna take this this position that you have of being that something that's very negative and hateful and we are going to just attack it with like song and dance and, and fierce intellectualism and change and joy. And I think, I think joy scares the hell out of people. I really do. I think that's right. I mean, that resonates with me. I, you know, I work with a lot of um, companies with teams and companies and play is a part of what I do. It's not all of what I do. I facilitate in lots of different ways, but I definitely bring improv games to the table as a possibility sometimes at times, depending on what's happening. And there is this reaction when people hear I come from a background of improv of play where they just tighten up because they're like, oh no, they're going to make me do something. And then it's, <laughs> and I think you know, I think the fear isn't that it's going to be joyful or fun. I think the fear is that it won't. But yeah. but the, but there's also this stigma around joy in the workplace and, um, you know, finding the game of a conversation or whatever. It's like everything must be very serious for us <laughs> to care about it. And I think I think that what's so wonderful about um, a project like uh, Ratas de los Patas is like it, when I see a project like that where it's like you're bringing such joy to the stage um, and I have seen y'all perform and it was it was just like the amount of joy pure joy in the room it's one of um, you don't always get that with an improv show sometimes people and audiences who don't love improv theater can really quantify this well <laughs> you go to a show and there's something happening up there and they seem like they're having fun but yeah. it's not really clear what's happening and it's uncomfortable and you feel awkward as an audience member that does happen that's legit a real thing that happens. Um, whereas with your show, which is in a language that most of the audience doesn't speak fluently, um, 
it's like the brain accepts immediately that you don't know what's going on in a way that doesn't always happen with an improv show and opens up. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, really quickly, you do understand what's going on. It's it's kind of a magic trick. It's like you actually are following what's happening and the joy that happens in the room feels co-created, even though the majority of what's happening happens on stage, but not all of it. There is a piece where the audience gets involved. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, explicitly in our show, we ask the audience for, um, for a, a phrase. We usually set up some sort of scenario uh, and then ask the audience for like, what's a phrase that you would want to know how to say if this if this scenario is happening in Latin American country X uh, and that's from some Spanish speaking country. Uh, what's a phrase you would want to know how to say in order to help you in this situation? Um, and mm-hmm. I think because of the like the learning component, um, like there, I think we we get excited when we learn things. Um, and when we're in a space of, and we're very upfront yeah. about it, we're like, we, you know, we play these sort of teacher characters up top and we're like, we're going to teach you something. Um, and I think people like, they, they just say, they accept it. They say yes. Um, and they're like, okay, cool. Here we go. <laughs> um, so I think the, that, that sort of gets us a little bit of like immediate, like lean in, lean forward, a little bit of buy and of like, oh, okay, this is going to be something different for me. If this, if they are people who, who are not, um, Spanish speakers. Um, and I think the part of that, also that joy is as for, for us playing, um, because we know we usually pull the audience you're like, okay, who speaks Spanish? Who doesn't? So we can kind of sort of get a gauge for us of like, how heavy on the English do we have to be? How heavy on the Spanish can we be? And I think because we're, <laughs> we're asking the audience to sort of keep up with this phrase throughout the course of, you know, a, a 20 to 35 minute set, um, they're kind of like, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Do you think that your audiences are changed by the experience of seeing your show? Is that so. is that like too big of a statement to make? Um, I mean, it's a cool statement to make, so I want to say yes. Um, I feel, um, I feel like yes. I think because um, traditionally and sort of the landscape of American improv, like it's we don't see a lot of bilingual, mm-hmm. uh, performer, uh, you know, performances. Um, and so that's, that makes us something mm-hmm. different. Uh, we're all women. That makes us something different. Uh, you know, we're, we all, there's, there's 3.5 Mexicans, uh, you know, on stage. I'm, I'm half Salvadorian <laughs> too. So I'm always like, I'm like, Oh, we could have been home. Um, so I think there's a lot that we, uh, that we offer that it just from like the, from just a purely improv experience is different. Um, and so then the fact that we're like, Hey, we're bringing all of this different, um, you know, all of these different references, this different language, different cultural uh, aspects, all of this stuff. I think we, we get to open people's perspective about like what improv can be. What do you think the relationship is between Art and change, uh, you know, like that's a really direct relationship. Somebody yeah. has the ability to open up in that moment. That's going to change them in some way. But do you think that there's a role to be played in broader change in the world through art? Or is it more about that sort of one at a time individual connection? Or maybe those aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, I don't know if they are, because I feel like they're both individual and collective experiences that we can have through an artistic medium that sort of can provide both of those things. 
Um, when I think about like art that I've experienced that like deeply shifted me in terms of like my way of thinking about either one, what is possible in the creation of art, um, or two content wise, like what, what does this make me think of, you know, like, what is this, how is this changing my, my, my thinking? Uh Um, and you know, those pieces that like you walk away with and you, they don't leave you, you know, you're still thinking about it after you leave the theater, after you, you know, turn off the TV, whatever, whatever, or you, the gallery, wherever it is that you experienced it. Um, those, I think that is significant in that, like it, it creates the, the individual and personal change. Art is an, an inherent part of like our human experience and change is also an inherent part of our human experience. Speaking of change, what is your personal relationship with change? When you hear that word, like what kind of feelings or thoughts come or definitions come up for you? Yeah. Oh, man. So many. Um, I feel like uh, initially, like I'm one of those people who I'm like, I'm very like go with the flow. I'm very flexible. And that's sort of the outside idea I've had about myself. And then when I really get down to it, I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm completely anal. I'm completely, I'm completely like control oriented. Um, I just get to feel loosey goosey. Um, and so I think the part of me that like, I feel like for me, my relationship to change is one of submission is one of like, I just have to Mm. submit that change happens and that it's there and that it's going to always happen and it's going to always be changing. And I'm going to always just have to go like, okay, cool. This is, this is what, this is the change now. This is what's different. I have to receive it differently. I can't remember who it was. Somebody I talked to, I don't even think on the podcast, um, just in general, somebody shared with me that they have this like mantra for when things, for when things have already taken that left turn or whatever big change just kind of drops on your head or whatever um instead of instead of being like I don't like this or I do like this they just go well that just happened (laughs) yeah and that's like that's their way of keeping cool and just going with the flow my friend has this uh this phrase that he got from like uh he's uh I think it was from like Weight Watchers or something like he he's been like an active Weight Watcher member for many years. Weight Watchers is actually pretty great if you want like a few little like key phrases to think to yourself yeah. or like to handle whatever. That, you know what? For all I know, that just happened might have come from a Weight might Watchers. Might have, right? The one that, that uh, made me yeah. Think, yeah, the one it made me think of is when he was talking about uh, a scale, weight, weight scale kind of thing and like people owning yeah. scales or not owning scales or whatever. And he, he was like, he, he like confessed. He was like, I bought a scale. And I was like, okay, is that what you wanted? <laughs> did you, did you want the scale? Do you need the scale? Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, he told me like well, the weight he was at. And then he just very calmly said, well, that was new information. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so now this is a phrase he comes back to when like things that are maybe not so pleasing or just like throw sort of a wrench in the plan. He's yeah. like, okay, well that's new information, you know, sort of in the, in the vein of, of your friend of being like, that just happened. 
It's like, hmm, okay, these are right. I think so much of the stress people feel sometimes is because they feel this pressure to make a choice about what's happening when really feelings are complicated. Like, like I just uh, was looking back at some of the experiences, the thoughts and writing that I did, you know, a year ago at this time. Um, and at the time of this recording, we're in the month of April. So April of 2020, I did a lot of thinking and writing about what was happening. And, um, and I really tried to hold in balance all of the feelings. There were things that were going well and things that were terrifying. There was lots of unknown and lots of known like um just like it is today just like it is every day um yeah. but you know also not like it is every day you know i was talking to you before i hit the record button about how my brain makes these generalizations and this, the same is true here where i'm like every day is the same and also every day is completely different <laughs> that's to me that's the nature of humanity or these these it's not either or it's both things are true um yeah you well, can be the, terrified the... of change and excited at the same time well, and that's, that I think you're hitting on something that I, I don't think that we, um, we either talk about a lot or maybe it's just not like put out there explicitly from when you're a young, from at least when I was young, that like two things can be true at the same time, you know, <laughs> like we can hold, we can, yeah. it doesn't have to be one or the other. All of the things can be on the table at the same time. It could be the buffet of things and it's all going to be okay. Like, or it's all going to just at least be what it is. Um, so yeah, I think that we, especially as like young people, we get like taught to think that, you know, it has to, it, the world we're taught to make things are very black and white when we're young, right? Like we aren't, we aren't, we don't spend a lot of time with young people in terms of the gray area, which is a big disservice because that's where life happens. Like life is the gray area. And so I think that we, sort of, the, oh, I love that. That's ironically a really colorful description. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I think we, as we get older, we um, we sort of spend that time sort of like um, unlearning that and sort of trying to take away that, that perception of like, it's got to be this or that. It can only be one or the other. Like there is no, and I feel like it's such a, it's rooted in such a like pass or fail, succeed or fail kind of mentality that it's, it's unsustainable and exhausting. Well, speaking of change, I've been playing a game with some of my guests and I think it'd be fun to play with you. Yeah. Um, it's basically just a speed round because the name of the game is called Aiden asks you a bunch of questions and you try and answer them as quickly as possible. I love it. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, okay. Cake or pie? Oh, cake. Why? Uh, frosting. Um, if you had to pick one outfit, I mean, it can grow and change with you as you grow, shrink, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But one outfit, one favorite outfit for the Ooh. rest of your life, <laughs> but it's the only one you get to wear, or a different outfit every single day, but you never get to wear the same outfit twice. So if you really like an outfit, it's gone. You already wore it. Ooh. Which one do you pick? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to say the, the first one. I'm going to, the one fabulous outfit for my whole life. Okay, why? <laughs> uh, I I like wearing a lot of sparkly and comfortable things. And I feel like sparkle and comfort are are directly connected to like my heart in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I like to be that comfortable in one single sparkly, <laughs> comfortable outfit. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like one juicy couture running suit, and you're set. Listen, uh, <laughs> seventeen-year-old Money Let still wants like a pink, like velour tracksuit from like Juicy Couture. So. <laughs> they're they're out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, imagine a world in which travel works the way we remember it working. You get onto an airplane and you sit down next to a stranger. Do you um, put on headphones and pretend you're on an airplane alone? Or do you strike up a conversation? Oh, I chat. I'm a chatter. Assuming, again, the travel works the same way that it used to. Um, (laughs) You check into a hotel. Um, What's the first thing that you do? Oh, I fully unpack. I fully just like put everything in its little spot. I like make I like make it my little my little home space. I just make sure that it feels like and I always bring like a candle or something with me that like feels like my something from my space. So I will definitely be like, all right, this is my space now. I've 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 tended to the area to make it mine. Let's talk about furniture. So do you, when you arrange furniture, is it something that happens often? Are you constantly rearranging furniture? Or is it the kind of thing where you get a piece of furniture, it goes in its spot and it lives there until it dies, disintegrates, your house burns down, or you move? Oh, I'm a rearranger. I like to reorganize the like, the shway of my space pretty often. Read any good books lately? Yes. Uh, I recently read In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, and it is one of, I am just like over the moon for this book. Um, I read it maybe like over a month ago. Uh, I'm reading something else now, but I'm like, that was the last fully completed book I read. And it's such a, the writer plays, it's a memoir, and she plays with structure in such a creative, beautiful way. And then her, her phrasing is just like breathtaking and devastating and just like rich so that's that's the most recent book i've read in the dream house uh last question what's your favorite change big or small that you've ever made favorite change big or small well you know moving to chicago was a big fat change and it's and it's given me so it's a gift that just keeps giving me more gifts um so i'm gonna say my big fat move to chicago change is my my favorite awesome thank you for (laughs) playing aiden asks you a bunch of questions and you answer them as quickly as possible i love it it's quippy speaking of personal change and your own thoughts and feelings about it do you if i ask you to identify a story, a moment from your life that was a real fork in the road where things noticeably changed after that moment. Are you able to come up with a, like, are there like a thousand stories there or is it just like one immediately pops into your head? There's so many, but that like, there's a couple that came to mind immediately when I, when I first, uh, when we first sort of got the prompt and initially I was like, well, I know, like, I wanted to pick one that wasn't like rooted in trauma to be perfectly frank or rooted in sort of like something that was really uh, like, like that was painful. Cause I feel like that, that can absolutely be a huge source of change and shift for people. And it has been for me in my life. And I also am like, well, what are the moments of change that I were, I felt 
excited, where I was sort of terrified and excited. Where, where, where are the, what are those moments? So oh, I reflected cool. on that. And oh, cool, cool. the first thing that like really came to mind was um, my 18th birthday. Is yeah. this the story you're ready to tell? I'm ready. I'm ready to tell. Oh, it okay, you great. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh. Okay, um, yeah, get out of the way. I'll get out of the way. Okay, great. Let's hear your story. Yeah. So on my 18th birthday, I was I'm a summer baby. Um, so I had just graduated high school the few months beforehand. I was 17, so I was only turning 18. And I had decided uh, before graduating that I was going to take a year off of school. I was going to. I wasn't going to immediately go to college. I wanted to take a year off. Um, and I wanted to just like get a job because I'd never had a job before. I wanted to just like be a human. I won this like uh, scholarship for my school. So I was like, oh, I could take some acting classes. I could do some other things before. And I was like, and then I'll, I'll apply to this like one school I want to go to. And like, if I get into that school, great. And, but I was really just sort of tossing all my eggs in that basket. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I was like, okay, on my 18th birthday, I'm going to like become an adult. I'm going to go after what I want. Like I'm going to start my adult life. All 18 years of me was ready to go. And so I woke up early. Uh, it was a beautiful summer day and I was like, all right, what are the things that I need to like prepare myself for this year before I like go to school or like apply for this, uh, uh, you know, theater school. And I was like, okay, I need to take acting classes. I, uh, I want to have like a sort of side hustle job. So I was like, I also want to get like my massage therapy license. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to spend the day like researching and going to these places. This was like sort of early, this was like 2001, right? So like the internet isn't quite a baby, but it's still in its infancy, right? So I couldn't just like Google all the things. I looked things up in a phone book, Aiden. It was amazing. And so uh, <laughs> I jumped on the 19 polk and I went over to the San Francisco School, School of Massage. I went to the Gene Shelton Acting Studio uh, over on Powell or Sutter. Um, and I just went to all these different places. And I had never been more excited to take the bus in my life. I had never been more excited. Like I woke up feeling different. And I woke up like I, I, am, I have changed. I am putting on my adult pants. And I am going to go like take life by the horns today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the the foundation for the next year out today, all of today. And I went. I spoke with all these, you know, I spoke with the people of San Francisco School Massage. I spoke with the Gene Shelton people. Uh, there was like one or two other places that I had gone to check out, and I was like, man, eh, up me. Um, but all day long, I was riding around San Francisco or walking around San. Francisco. It was a hot day too. Um, and I just remember feeling palpably excited. And like, I feel different right now. I feel like something is shifting. I feel like something, like I am changing my life today. Like that was the, that was like the thesis of the day. Um, and I remember feeling like very adult about everything. Like by the time I got home and it was maybe, I don't know, like five o'clock or something like that by the time, maybe a little earlier. And my nephew was there who was maybe, I don't know, two or three at the time. And I, I spent a lot of time uh, caring for him, like being his nanny when he was very young. And so like, he's my little homie. So I was like, all right, little homies here, we're gonna hang out. And we, my mom was like, well, I need to go, you know, run some errands or something to like tan for to like the mall. And I was like, all right, let's, we're, we're, let's load up the baby and let's go. Um, and so I closed out my big day of adult change 
by riding like a mall choo-choo train with my three-year-old nephew. And like, just being like, okay, here we go. We rode the train and then we went back to our house and like had a little water balloon fight because it was still summer. Um, and at the end of the day, like I just remember being like, this is it. This is it, I'm an adult, I'm doing it. Like I, I actively did stuff today that's changing my patterns and habits. Um, and it was so satisfying and so like exciting and scary because I wasn't, you know, like in this profession, like you know, nothing's guaranteed. Um, and really feeling like I had, I had control or power over like this thing that I was like angling my life toward. And what a beautiful fantasy to live in at the beautiful age of 18. Um, you know, fast forward years later, I'm like, I have control over nothing. Um, but I remember just feeling <laughs> absolutely like in my power that day and feeling like I have the mm. ability to change. I have the ability to shift or direct myself in the direction that I want to be choosing. That wasn't my family's choice. That wasn't, you know, and not that they were uh, unsupportive, but um, just sort of making my own way and really feeling like, okay, if this is something I'm going to do, like I'm in charge of doing it. I have to create that. I have to, to pave that road because while my family has like artsy people in it, everybody's very like working class, <laughs> you know, like we work, we go to, we do things. And it wasn't like, yeah, let me go live my like artsy fartsy dreams. It was like, no, we got kids to feed and bills to pay. Like we can't do all that. Um, so I, I, in this one way, it was like a huge privilege to get to go be like one of the first people in my family to get to do that and getting to feel like I was, I was the catalyst for that. And I was getting to sort of create change both for myself personally, but also for my family individually. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the biggest, like when I think about sort of change in that regard, that's one of the, the sort of stories that sort of pops forward most in my mind. I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. I love that you picked that moment. It it brings back such terrific memories for me as well. And it's such a great reminder that like, there are no rules that says we can't get into that 18 year old mindset. Like, it's really easy to look at that and be like, Oh, foolish 18 year old, you had no idea what taxes were yet. Right. But it's like, there's also there's that thing where like, you know, I remember the first time I had car keys in my hand, walking down the street and thinking everybody knew I had car keys now and cared about that, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like just being like, I'm the girl with the keys and I'm walking down the street, you know, it's yes, like, <laughs> and, yes. and just assume like in my mind, it's a movie and everybody's turning their head to look and be that. like, who's that girl with the keys? Yeah. yeah. But I, there's no rule that says we can't do that as adults. And probably we should like I feel like you know I'll work with clients I'll I'll do some self-coaching to sit down and do some looking ahead to just, just like work your way backwards you go like yeah. what do I want to be doing I'm going to work my way backwards to where the starting point is yeah. and everyone's like oh dragging their feet nobody wants to do it I don't want to sit down and do it either and at 18 it was a different ball game right at 18 you're like yeah. what do I want to be when I grow up all right, where do I start? Yeah. All right, I'm going to pull that phone book out and I'm going to start yeah. pounding the pavement. I'm going to find out what my future <laughs> is. You know, it's like, 
we could all take an awesome page out of that book and allow that to inspire us in the present moment that like take some time and just fantasize about what might be possible um and then you know and enjoy it don't make it a chore make it a make it a an awesome like sequin covered sparkle experience i feel like there i mean i think the the element of uh change that you know historically may have snubbed or burned us um is is a can be a daunting um uh sort of entity right it sort of gets bigger than us um and yeah when we remember that change you know change or shifting or really being able to sort of take agency in that regard in in relationship to change um is a different power like a different dynamic right uh and it's a different level of of ownership and a different level of like um, of influence that we are in charge of. And I think as we get older, we sort of feel like less and less and less is in our control. Less and less and less is, is possible for us to, um, to, yeah, to sort of direct in any way. And like the, again, that sort of like unlearning right. process, sort of like getting back to like that, that sense of like, well, why not? You know, I can't I, I get on the bus and make it happen. I once met a woman in her, uh, well, I, I didn't meet her in her 70s. I met her. And then in her 70s, many years later after I met her, um, mm-hmm. she completely transformed her entire life. She like, she just decided that she was going to just no longer own any property. This isn't for everybody. But, you know. <laughs> That's what she decided. She's like, I'm just not going to own any property. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go work on an olive farm and I'm just going to farm olives and live there and make mm-hmm. olive oil. And I don't know why this opportunity came her way. This brand of olive oil, by the way, is one of my favorite <laughs> brands. Like it's just delicious. It was just like, but at the time the it was this unheard of. Now, this is this was an unheard of brand of olive oil at the time. Mm-hmm. She's 70 years old. And wh- I think what it allowed her to do was to actually live her best life because she, she just worked in the sun during the day. She was working with fruit and it's an organic product and she just did yoga. And like she, she then Ugh. got so into yoga that she healed all of her aches and pains. It's a really like beautiful story. And then she was oh. like, I, you know what? I'm going to teach yoga classes and I'm going to make this olive oil salve. She had all this access to olive oil and like, she just completely transformed. She's one of the youngest people that I know. She's now in her, um, she's got to be in her eighties. Good Lord. Um, and, she, but she's just like this, like, you know, I think now I'm going to go live in a hammock on the beach for the Ugh. rest of my life or whatever. She just, she's like, do, do more with less is kind of how she operates. And again, that's not for everybody. Her children are grown. She had no obligations. Yeah. Um, and right. having no obligations is kind of one of those markers of being 18 as well. But it's, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> what what can we take and steal and still have be part of us even when we do have obligations, you know? I love that. That's so, yeah, it really, it, it's making me think of sort of the importance of having um, multi-generational friends. Um, I feel like yeah. I was really lucky, uh, growing up in my home because my, I lived with my, my family, my brother and my sister, my mom, as well as my grandparents, and my great uncle. 
And then we had like an influx of cousins and like other neighborhood kids that my grandma took care of um, in our house all the time. So there was, it was, you know, many generations of people constantly in the house. Um, And because of that, we got to sort of experience the many different levels of, of like joy, wisdom, growing pains, all of those things that come with being around people who are either much younger than you or much older than you. And I, I feel really, um, you know, fortunate that in my life, I, I still am able to like, and I'm able to sort of maintain relationships with, with people who are not just my peers. And I think of age wise, um, and it's been such a, um, healthy reminder of like my own rigidity and my own Mm -hmm. like inflexibility and being like, okay, like, you know, there's, uh, even within Ratas, right? Like I am the oldest member of the, of the team. I'll be 38 this year. And then Abby is our youngest member and she's 22, I believe. Um, so it's like, you know, there's, there's a little bit of time in there, you know, she's young, she's young and like young with like a crap load of experience and just like a world of fierceness behind her, you know, and, and getting to sort of see like what, how she approaches things or different ideas that she brings to the table. And I'm like, Oh, that's, I would have never thought of that. I have no idea about what that is. Um, and then like taking that and talking to somebody who's, you know, older than me and being like, what do you think about this? And they'll be like, "Hmm, well, you know, and so like just getting different perspectives on different things um, and getting to sort of learn from everybody and sort of seeing how, how, how being flexible to change and like having a relationship to change as we, you know, as we age is, um, is such an important part of, of our own, um, plasticity is people and our own abilities to like grow because we, if we sort of try and stay as fixed as we can, like it's, that's anytime I've done that, I've hurt myself and like be it emotionally or physically, Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you know, my totally. body's just like, Nope, take you out. Um, and I'm like, okay. And then like literally having to like be laid up in a bed and submit to the fact that like, Nope, okay. That thing's going to happen whether I want it to or not. Cool. Um, right. You know what that reminds me of is that, that, um, do you know the finger thumb thing? Have you ever done this Mm -mm. finger thumb thing? Uh, So the way it works, um, is, uh, start, start with both. Yeah. You start with your hands as fists in front Uh of you. You do one thumb up and the other hand has a, the pointer finger pointing out away from you. And then you just take time to alternate which hand has the thumb and which hand has the pointer finger. Oh, so you just so alternate. Oh man. I'm and you be build brain connections when you do this. <laughs> but what's interesting, this is one of those experiences where what you'll notice is the harder you try to do it, you like try and force it. It feels really difficult, but if you can actually yeah. just kind of relax and just assume yeah. that you're capable of it, all of a sudden it becomes much more fluid, right? Yeah. And you become more forgiving of those moments where it doesn't quite work. It's so to me, this is one of those things where it's like, and you can make, you can just like with anything, you can practice that and like get really, really fast at it. Just yeah. like literally everything. But, so but cool. to me, it reminds me of that, that plasticity, that neuroplasticity that comes from making, forming new connections and that simultaneous, like doing something challenging, uh, but again, do more with less, like relaxing 
the muscles yeah. actually gets you more play. The harder you try and hold something, the more difficult it becomes. And to your point, you end up laid up in bed and you're like, I don't even get to do the finger thumb exercise now. <laughs> I have fingers. Yeah. I can't even do it. It's tough. Yeah. I have tendinitis and I'm stuck. Yeah. It's so funny though, too, because like as improvisers, right, sort of cycling back to something you said earlier, where there's this sort of perception of, um, oh, you got, you're, you're the play people. You guys just kind of do all this all the time, you know, like your guys are the wacky folks. Um, it, uh, there's a level of, I think, um, of, there's a perception that there, that that in and of itself is illegitimate and, and that there's right. not uh, value to it and, or, you know, because it's not commodified in the way that our capitalist, capitalist society recognizes. Right. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make you a better this or that supposedly. Right. Um, and it doesn't help your productivity necessarily. Right. That's, that's the, the sort of overt thinking. We all know that that's not the case. Um, but it makes me think of like right. uh, when oh where did it just came around um, because there's this perception of us being very uh, open and like flexible and improvisational and things just come and we're gonna be great with it. Um, I am always like no, I feel like improvisers are kind of like a little bit the worst because <laughs> we have this idea of like well, we have a structure and we have a this and we have it like, I feel like we, uh, uh-huh. we like hold on to the things that aren't supposed to change. Um, and like, are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is, this is it. This is, this is how we, this is how we improv write. Um, and so there's this perception of like, right. right and wrong. <laughs> Make right? it up correctly. Exactly. You know, and even as much as we like celebrate failure and cheer about it and talk about it, there is still a world, a lifetime of conditioning that we are trying to undo um, by, by playing. Um, and so we're constantly coming up against that for me, at least I'm constantly sort of coming up against that where I'm like, Ooh, gotta let that go. Ooh, gotta let that, you know, like I could feel, you know, like I could see, I I see this in myself all the time when I'm doing scenes where I'm like, okay, they said that thing. They said that thing. What does this need right now? How do I, how do we, uh, uh, you know, make it, how do I make it better? How do I make it more make sense? How do I make it, you you know, how do I create the through line so that these two ideas are now connected? And you know, like for me, I'm like, why are you trying to improv right? Like, just do the finger thing. Just do the finger. <laughs> just sit out there and do the finger thing. Um, and yeah, just go out there. And relax a little bit. Just relax yeah, and just relax see what happens. Well, Marilette, 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 I could easily spend the next three hours geeking out about totally. how <laughs> improvisers are also continually learning these lessons. Um, but I'm hyper aware of the time. So, uh, instead of that, I'm just going to ask you as we sort of, we're going to gently bring this conversation yeah. to a close. I want to ask if you have any f- final words of wisdom or anything that you'd like people to take away, um, or projects you want to promote anything yeah. that you want people to know about at the oh, end of this so conversation. Yeah, I, it's going to be 37 minutes of me talking. Um, <laughs> but I will try and be concise. Um, <laughs> I think initially, like I, I was, um, one of the things about change that sort of kept coming as I was reflecting and preparing for this was like, and I say this a lot when I teach, um, is that growth is violent. Um, it's a violent act. Mm. It happens. Like it's, they're called growing pains for a reason. It's not like, you know, you, I remember when my brother was like getting taller and he was just in, 
wretched pain, just wretched pain. And the very next day walked out of his room and was like an inch and a half taller, you know? And I was like, what happened? Um, and so like, it's one of those things where I was like, and, and I think of like butterflies, right? Where it's like a, a yeah. caterpillar literally turns into goo before it turns into a butterfly. So there is this factor yeah. of change and this factor of, of evolution really that there is a violent element too. There is sort of this um, chaotic and and almost painful experience with. And on the other side of that, the the elements in with in which we can um, approach that that growth or that change, sometimes the violence of that change, um, the way we approach it can be uh, it makes the difference. It makes the biggest difference because it, if I'm willing to change. Um, it makes the process that much more, um, it makes me that much more capable of receiving it. And I think there's a lot of times mm-hmm. in the world where like things are, you know, it takes us how many times to learn a particular lesson, right? Where like the universe is just going to keep bringing it back to you until you have like <laughs> approached it in a different way. Right. And that requires change. It requires shift. It requires all of this, these, this different level of, of, uh, sort of internal listening and flexibility that like. Uh, so w- in, in that regard, like being gentle with ourselves when we're experiencing change mm-hmm. and when we're, uh, sort of coming up against stuff, um, that we feel that we are being sort of either pushed down by, um, you know, instead of like getting this feeling, like really opening up our arms forward and being like, okay, let me, let me, instead of trying to hold it up, how can I, how can I receive it and carry it differently? Um, and that's, those are things that I'm going to keep thinking about, like, as, uh, as, as the day, the week, the year goes on. So I'm like, all right, like that's just the nature of, of us as humans. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's awesome to connect with you in this way. So great to like reconnect with you and just like see you and spend this time together. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Hey, are you planning to go to school? And if so, what are you going to study? Listen, what kind of an impact do you want to have on the world? These questions sound familiar. I mean, when we're 16, 17, 18, we got asked these questions all the time, right? But as adults, how often do you get asked those questions? Because for me, it's almost never. And the truth is, we could. We could be asking each other. I don't know about you, but despite my age, aches and pains and taxes, there are multiple times daily when I do not feel like a grown-up. The thing that Marilette's story reminds me of is the best way to not feel like a grown-up, which is to simply get excited about taking steps towards something new. I mean, I remember from fourth grade through ninth grade, I always got so excited walking to that first day of school because it meant that I was older. And like me, you probably used to count your age in quarters. There was this sense that being a grown-up was the super cool thing that was going to happen to me later down the road. But now we're all here, we're grown up, and it's easy to hold the lens of exhaustion up to everything. Taxes again, Ugh, groceries, I don't want to go to the store, uh, fine, I'll drink another glass of water and then I'm going to have to go to the bathroom again. What if we send ourselves back to that beginner excitement, that beginner mindset, just for like an hour or maybe a day? I mean, maybe it'd be possible to maintain that feeling for a week. You know, that feeling of, I'm going to do something it's going to be amazing. I'm going to take this on as a personal challenge for myself for the next few weeks. And I encourage you to do the same. And I want to hear about it. 
Have thoughts, feelings, sarcastic remarks, or a story to share based on listening to this episode? Help me keep the conversation going. Join the Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash change hub. You never know who you're going to inspire. I want to thank Marilette for her story and for her thoughts. Special thanks go to my family for their love, support, and patience. To all of the amazing Changed Podcast Patreon page members who I couldn't do this without. Art of Change Skills for Life and Patreon member producer, Dr. Rick Kirshner. And I thank you for listening. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about. Thank you.